Frankenstein by Mary Shelley Chapter 1 I am by birth a Genovese and my family is one of the most distinguished of that republic. My ancestors have been of many years consulars, councillors and sedicts. My father's filled several public situations with honour reputation. He was highly respected by all who knew him for his integrity and fundamental attention to public business. He passed by his younger days perpetually occupied by the affairs of his country. A variety of circumstances have prevented his marrying early, for it was until the decline of his life that he became a husband and the father of a family. As the circumstances of his marriage illustrate his character, I cannot refrain from relating them. On this, the most intimate friends was a merchant who, from a flourishing state, fell through numerous mischances into poverty. This man, whose name was Belfort, was of proud and unbending disposition, and could not bear to live in poverty and revelation, same country which had formerly been distinguished for his rank and magnificence. Having paid his debts, therefore, in the most honourable manner, he retreated from his daughter in, with his daughter to the town of Lu Nari, where he lived unknown in wretchedness. My father loved Belfort, with him to his friendship and deeply grieved by his retreat in those unfortunate sequences. He bitterly deplored the false pride which led his friend to the conduct so little worthy of the affection which united him. He lost no time in the Madeira to seek him out with the hope of persuading him to begin the world again through his credit and insistence. Belfort taken the effectual measures to conceal himself. It was ten months before my father discovered his abode. Overjoyed at discovery, he hastened to the house, situated in the main streets near Rios. But when he entered, mis- entered misery and despair alone welcomed him. Belfort had saved but a little, a very small fortune, of, a very small sum of money from the wreck of his fortunes. But it was significant to provide him with substance for some months. In the meantime, he hoped to procure some respectable employment in the merchant's house. Yet the interval was considerably spent in inaction. His grief only became more deep and rambling. When he had the leisure of reflection, at length he took so hold on his mind that he had, at the end three months he lay in his bed of sickness, incapable of any exertion. His daughter attended to him with the greatest tenderness, but he saw with this despair the little fun was rapidly decreasing that there was no other prospect of comfort of support for caroline belfont possessed a mind of uncommon mould her courage rose to support her her adversary she procured plain work she painted straw and by various means contrived to earn her pittance scarcely significant to support life several months passed in this manner her father grew worse her time was more entirely occupied in attending him. A means of substance decreased, and in the tenth month her father died in her arms, leaving an orphan and a beggar. This last blow overcame her, and she knelt by Belfort's coffin, bitterly weeping when my father entered the chamber. He came like a protected spirit, the poor girl, who committed herself to his care, 
and after the internment of his friend, he exacted her to Tirina, a place under protection of a relationship. Two years after this event, Clara and I became his wife. There was a considerable difference between the ages of my parents, but this circumstance seemed to be unite them closer to the bonds of devoted affection. There was a sense of justice in my father's upright mind, and rendered it necessary he should above should approve hardly to love strongly. Perhaps during many former years he had suffered from the late discovery, unworthiness of one beloved, so was disposed to get a regular value on a tired worth. There was a show of gratitude and worship, his attachment to my mother, differing wholly from the doting fondness of age, is inspired by the reverence for virtue of her virtues and desire to be the means of, in some degree, recompensing her for the sorrows he endured, but gave her, but which gave irresistible grace to his behaviour to her. Everything was made to yield to her wishes, her conveyance. He strove to shelter her as a fair exotic is sheltered by the gardener from every rougher wind and to surround her with all that could tend to her sight pleasurable motion in her soft and benevolent mind. Her health and even the tranquillity of a constant spirit had been shaken by the what she had gone through. During the past during the two years in the lapse previous to their marriage, my father gradually relinquished all his public functions. Immediately after the union they sought the pleasant climate of Italy and a change of scene and interest attendant on a tour for which they land a world as a restorative but a weakened frame. From Italy they visited Germany and France. I, their oldest child, was born in Naples, an infant occupied in their rambles. Competent to them in their rambles. I remained for several years their only child. Much as they were attached to each other, they seemed to draw insensible stories of affection from a very mind of love to bestow them upon me. My mother's tender caresses and my father's smile, benevolent pleasure, well regarded me, are my first collections. I was a plaything, their idol, this and something better, their child, the innocent and helpless creature bestowed by them. Heaven whom to bring up to good, and whose future lot it was in their hands to direct to happiness or misery according as they fulfilled their duties towards me. With this deep conscience of what they owed to all the being of which they had given life, added to the active spirit of tenderness that emanated both, it may be imagined that while during every hour of my infant life I received a lesson of patience of charity and self-control, I was so guided of my sulken cord that they seemed but one train of enjoyment to them. For one for a long time I was their only care. My mother had desired to have a daughter, but I continued to be their but I continued to seek offspring. When I was about five years old, they, while making an excursion beyond the frontiers of Italy, I passed a week on the shores of Lake Como, of eleven position, often made him enter the cottages of the poor. This, to my mother, was more than the duty necessary. A passion remembering that she had suffered and how she had been relieved of her act in her turn, the guardian angel to the afflicted. During one of these walks, a poor couple of foldings of a veil attached their notice to 
being singly discolored, while, while the number of half-clothed children gathered about it spoke of perjury in its worst shape. One day, when my father had gone by himself to Milan, and my Valka died by him, he visited his abode. She found a pleasant and his wife, hard-working, bent down by care and labour, distributing a scanty meal to five hungry babes. Among these was one which attracted my mother's far above the rest. She appeared to be a different stock. Four others were dark-eyed, hardy, like vagrants. This child was thin and very fair. Her hair was the brightest living gold, and despite the poverty of her clothing, seemed to set the crowd of distinction on her head. Her brow was clear and ample, her blue eyes careless, and her lips and the mouldings of her face, so expressive of sensibility and sweetness, and none would behold her without looking on her as a distant species, a being heaven-sent, and bearing a celestial stamp in all her features. A pleasant woman receiving that by that my mother's eyes a wonder and admiration of this lonely girl eagerly communication uh, history. She was not the child, not the, her child, the daughter of a Malaysian nobleman. Her father was a German, had died on giving her was her mother was a German and had died on giving her birth. The infant had been placed with her good people to nurse. They were better off than then. then. They had been not long married when their eldest child was just born. The father of their change was one of the, those, those Italians nursed into the memory the ancient glory of Italy. One among the Scavarari Ogora Fermilenti, who exerted himself to attain the liberty of his country. He became the victim of its weakness. Whether he died or still lingered in the dungeons of Austria was not known. His poverty was confiscated. Was confiscated. His child became, child became an orphan, a beggar. He continued with her foster parents and bloomed into their rude abode, fairer than a golden rose among dark-leaved brambles. When her father returned from Milan, my father returned from Milan, he found playing with me in the hall of our villa a child fairer than sensitive cherub, a creature seemed to shed radiance from her looks and whose form and motions were lighter than Camillus on the heels. The apparition was soon explained. With permission, my mother prevailed on her rustic guardians to yield their charge to her. They were fond of the sweet orphan. Her presence had seemed a blessing to them, but it seemed to be unfair to her to keep her poverty. They went then, what went then, when Providence afforded her such powerful protection. They consulted their British priest. The result was Elizabeth Lazarana became an inmate of my parents' house. My own, more than, my more than sister, the beautiful and adored companion of all my occupations and my pleasures. Everybody loved Elizabeth, the passionate and almost reverberable attachment which they all regarded her became. While I shared it, my pride and my delight, on the evening previous to her being brought to my house, my mother had said bravely, I hope I have a pretty present for you for my victor tomorrow. We shall have it. And then on the morrow she presented Elizabeth to me, as she promised as a promised gift. With childish seriousness interrupted her words. 
literally and looked upon Elizabeth as mine, mine to protect, love and cherish. All praise bestowed on her. I received for me a possession of my own. We called each other, uh, called each other familiarly by the name of cousin. No word, no expression could body but forth the kind of relation which she, she stood to me. My more than sister, still death. To death, she was to be mine only. Chapter two. We were brought up together. The there was not quite a year difference in our ages. I need not say we were strangers to any species, species, disunion or dispute. Harmony was a soul or companionship. Diversity, contrast, and subsistent in our characters drew us clearer, nearer together. Livius was of calmer and more concentrated disposition, but with all my more, I was capable of more intense application and more deeply smitten with the thirst for knowledge. She busied herself and followed the aerial creations of the poets, the majestic and wondrous scenes which surrounded our Swiss home, the sublime shapes of the mountains, the changes of the seasons, the tempests, the calm, the silence of the winter, and the life and turbulence of our alpine summers. She found ample scope for admiration and delight. While my companion completed with serious and satisfied spirit the magnificent appearance of the things I delighted in investigating their cause. Is. Well, it was to me a secret which I desired to divine. Curiously earnest research to learn the hidden laws of nature gladly succumbed to the rapture as they were whole fold to me among the early sensations I can remember. On birth of a, sec- of a second son, my junior by seven years, my parents gave up entirely their wandering life and fixed themselves in their native country. We possessed a house in Geneva. The Campagne on Belvivrave, the, the, the eastern shore of the lake, at a distance of, of rather more than a league from the city. We resided principally in the latter. The lives of my parents were passed on passing considerable seclusion. It was my temper to avoid a crowd and attach myself fervently to a few. I was indifferent, therefore, to my skilled fellows in general. But I unite myself in the bonds of the closest friendship, one among them. Henry Cavell was the son of a merchant of Geneva. He was a boy of singular talent and fancy. He loved enterprise, hardship, and even danger for its own sake. He was deeply read in books of chivalry and romance. He composed heroic songs and began to write many tales of enchantment and nightly venture. He tried to make, make us act plays and to enter into masquerades in which the characters were drawn for the heroes of rest, Ronisvalles, or the round table of King Arthur, and the chivalrous train who shred their blood to redeem the holy Stulicipolitia from the hands of the infidels. No human being could have passed a happier childhood than myself. My parents were possessed by the very kind spirits of kindness and indulgence. He felt, we felt they were not the tyrants of all out, Lot rule out to rule our lot accordingly to their caprice. But the agents are creators for all the many delights which we enjoyed. When they mingled with other families, they simply scorned. How peculiarly fortunate my lot was, and gratitude assisted the development of female love. My temper was something times violent, my passions violent. But 
by some law in my temperament temperature, they were turned not towards childish pursuits, but to eager desire to learn, and not to learn all things indescribable. Indescribable. I confess that neither the structure of languages, nor the code of governments, nor the politics of various states possess attractions for me. It was the secrets of heaven and earth I desired to learn, whether it was the onward substance of things, or the inner spirit of nature, the mysterious soul of man had occupied me. Still my inquiries were directed to mythical, or in its highest sense, the physical secrets of the world. Meanwhile, Cavell occupied himself, so to speak, the moral reflections of things, busy stage of life, the virtues of heroes, the actions of men were his theme. This hope and his dreams will have become one among those names who were recorded in the story of the gallant and venturous benefactors of our species. The saintly soul of Elizabeth shone like a shrine, dedicated lamp in our peaceful home. Her sympathy was ours. Her smile, her soft voice, the sweet glance of her celestial eyes were ever there to bless and animate us. She was a living spirit of love to soften the intract. I might have been sullen in my uh, study, rough through the animal of my nature, but there she was there she was there to subdue me to semblance of her own gentleness. And Chevelle would alt at the isle entrenched or the noble spirit of Chevelle, yet he might not have been so perfectly human, so thoughtful in his generosity to feel so full of kindness, tenderness, immense, his passion for adventurous exploit, that she not unfold to him a real loveliness of benefice, and made the doing good the end and aim of his soaring ambition. I felt exquisitely pleasure in dwelling on the reflections of, of my of childhood, being misfortune, before misfortune, and taking my mind and changed its bright visions of senses useless loneliness into gloomy and reflections upon self. Besides enjoying the picture of my early years, I also recalled those events which led to my insatiable steps, sensible steps to my after tale of misery, for when I would account for myself for birth, of what passion which afterwards ruled my destiny, I find it arise like a mountain river from innoble and almost forgot sources, but swelling as it proceeded, it became the torrent which it in its course was swept away all my hopes and joys. Natural philosophy is is a genius that was relegated my fate. Isaiah therefore, in his narration, to state these facts that have led to my pre delegation for that science. When I was thirteen years old of age we went to a party a pleasure or to the bath near Tolonum. The inclemency of the weather obliged us the rain of the day finally to the inn. In this house I chanced to find the volume, the works of Colinius Agrippia. I opened it with apathy, the theory which he attempts to demonstrate, the wonderful facts which he relates, so changed his feeling in the feeling to enthusiasm. The new light seemed to dawn upon my mind and burning with joy and communicate my discovery to my father. My father looked carelessly at the title page of my book and said, Ah, Cornelius Agrippa, my dear Victor, do not waste your time upon this. It is sad trash. If instead of this remark my father had made plans to explain to me that the Prince of Agrippa had been entirely exposed 
and with that of modern systems of science been introduced which possess much greater powers than ancient because the powers of the latter were tomorrow while those of the former were real and practical under such circumstances I should certainly have thrown the Greta Agrippa aside and have contented my own imagination, warmed as it was by returning from further greater more to my former studies. It had been it was even possible that a train of my ideas had never been received as a fatal impulse and led to my ruin. But the closer glance of my father, taken off my volume, by no means assured me that he was acquainted with its contents. I continued to read with the greatest avidity. When I returned home, my first care was to procure the whole week works of this author, and afterwards a paracelerus aberus magnus. I read and studied the wild fancies of these writers with delight. They appeared to my treasures known uh, to few besides myself. I described myself as always having been illumined with fervent longing to penetrate the secrets of nature. Despite the intense labour, the wonderful discoveries of modern philosophers, I always came from my studies discontentment and unsatisfied. Sir Isaac Newton is said to have avoided, vowed that he felt like a child, picking up shelves before, beside the great and unexplored ocean of truth. Those his successors on which branch of the natural philosophy with whom I was acquainted appeared even to my boy's apparitions as topos enraged in some pursuit. The untaught peasant beheld the elements around him, was acquainted with their practical uses. The most learned philosopher knew little more. He partially unveiled the face of nature, but her moral lineaments were still wonder and mystery. He might dissect, animatise, and give names, but to speak of final clause, Causes then secondary and glory grades were utterly unknown to him. I gazed upon the fortifications and impediments that seemed to keep human beings from the entering cartel nature, and rashly and ignorantly I had repined. But here were books, and here were men who had penetrated deeper and knew more. I took their word for all they ever averred. I became their disciple. It may appear strange that I should arise in the 18th century, but I followed the routine of education in schools of Geneva. I was, in a great degree, a self-taught regard for my favourite studies. My father was not scientific. I was left to struggle with child blindness, added to a student first for knowledge. Under the guidance of my new preceptors, I entered with the greatest deluge in diligence into search of the philosopher's stone, licks of life. But that soon attained my undivided attention. Wealth was an interior object. But what glory would attend the discovery if I could banish disease from the human frame and render man invulnerable to any but a violent death? But those were, but nor were those my only visions of raising of ghosts of demons. Devils were promised literally, liberally accorded by my favourite authors, the fulfilment of which I most eagerly sought, and my inclinations were always unsuccessful. 
I attributed the failure rather to my own inexperience, mistake to the want of skill or fidelity in my instructors, and thus for a time I occupied by exploded symptoms, mingling an adequate adept at a thousand contrary victory theories and floundering disarray in a very slow of multifarousing knowledge guided by ardent imagination, childish reasoning, taught an accident again of charge the current of my ideas. When I was about fifteen years old, we had retired to our house near Bill Reeve, where my witness a most violent and terrible thunderstorm in advance from behind the mountains of Juna, a thunderous burst at one the frightful lands for various quarters of the heavens. I remained while the storm lasted, watching in progress with a curiosity and light. As I stood at the door, all of a sudden, I beheld a stream of fire issue from an old and beautiful oak which stood about twenty yards from the Howell house. And so soon the dazzling light vanished, the oak and dis- oak had disappeared, and nothing remained but a blasted stump. When we visited it next morning, we found the tree shattered in a singular manner. It was not splintered by the shock, but entirely reduced to thin ribbons of wood. I never beheld anything so utterly destroyed. For this I was not acquainted with the, acquainted with the more obvious laws of electricity. On this occasion a man's great research in natural philosophy was with us. Incited by this catastrophe, he entered on the trend explanation of the theory, which he formed on the subject of electricity. A galvanism, which was once new and astonishing to me, all he said threw greatly up room into greatly into the shade. Collius Agrippa, Abius Magnus, and Paracelius, the lords of my imagination, but the more fidelity, fatality of overthrown of these men disinclined me to pursue my accustomed studies. It seemed to me as if nothing would all be better known. All that had been so long engaged in my attention suddenly grew despicable. By one of these caprices of mind which we have prepared, perhaps most subject to in early youth, I at once gave up my former occupation and set down natural history in all its progeny to have formed an abortive creation and seen the greatest same for would-be science which could never step in within the threshold of real knowledge. In this mode of mind, I took myself to mathematics and branches of study, appertaining to the science of being built upon secure foundations, so worthy of my consideration. Thus strangely are the souls constructed. By such slight ligaments we are bound to prosperity and ruin. When I look back, it seems to me as this, this almost miraculous change of incarnation will was that of the immediate suggestion of God and the angel of my life. The last effort made by the spirit of my preservation avert the storm that was even more even then hanging into the stars and ready to develop me. Their victory was announced by the unusual tranquillity and gladness of my soul, which followed by quenching me my ancient and latterly tormenting studies. It was thus that I was being taught to associate evil with their persecution, happiness with their disregard. It was a strong effort of the spirit, the good, but it was ineffectual. Destiny was not, was too potent 
and her immutable laws are decreed by utter and terrible destruction.